for being here, Brandon. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. What is your study abroad slash international travel story? What got you into this? So I'd say what started the path for me was my uncle uh, went to the Dominican Republic in the Peace Corps in the late 70s. And my mother decided that we should go visit him. So I think I was nine or 10 years old at the time. Uh, and I'm from southern Wisconsin. Um, you know, didn't know very many people who ever went to college. I didn't know there was a big world out there. Then all of a sudden we go to the Dominican Republic and I discovered there was a world out there and it blew my mind. Yeah. So a few years later, my senior year in high school, I decided I wanted to see more of that world. So I begged my mother to let me go study abroad in France for my senior year. And I did that and it, it changed my life. I was very lucky. I went to a small town on the coast of France that, uh, where no one spoke English. So uh, I, I got to, I had to learn French yeah. if I wanted to eat or go to the bathroom or any of those <laughs> basics. So. Yeah. And then I, I continued uh, in grad school. I ended up taking a group of students to Paris for a semester, and that was absolutely fantastic. And yeah. those three experiences have just made me uh, you know, a zealot for international education right. because I feel it's so transformative. Well, what, what made you choose France? Was it circumstantial, or were you dying to go to France? Uh, you know, it's kind of like most young, dumb kids, you know, I'd had nine weeks of Spanish and nine weeks of French in junior high. And I think I got an A in French and a B plus in Spanish. So <laughs> clearly France, French was the better option for me. Right. <laughs> well, that's, that's really cool. So let's, let's re So when you were back in college, where'd you end up going to university? Uh, the Ohio State University for undergrad. Okay. And then, uh, UNC Chapel Hill for grad school. Okay. And then did you study French for both of those? degrees? I did. For a little while, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So I was doing, you know, those type of classes. But yeah. in the end, I decided it was French. Okay. Um, and then, of course, the big joke that we always talk about is, you know, when we started this company, my business partner and I started the company, I was getting a PhD in French Renaissance women's literature. <laughs> and my business partner was getting his PhD in romance philology. And not many people know what philology means, but it means love of languages, specifically love of romance languages. So, of course, you start a software right, company. Right, absolutely. That. So that's that's a great transition because this is the part that I always like. When I first you first told me this, I think you told me at CIE in Shanghai, mm -hmm. and we we're sitting there, and I was like, "What? Wait a minute! You have a PhD, or you were getting a PhD? Did you finish the PhD in the end?" Neither one of us did. We oh. started the company, and it, it just took it off. Worked out, yeah. Way too busy. So. Well, this is why it's so surprising. So let's talk about the evolution of Teradata. So. You're working, you're both working on these PhDs, obviously, you know, something that's kind of shocking. And then all of a sudden you discovered there was some kind of pain point out there. So what happened there? Well, it was very odd. You know, we, uh, when we got, when I got to grad school, I, I noticed, you know, this was in the night, late 90s. And of all the grad schools I applied to, the one that didn't have a website was UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, and that's where I ended up going. Uh, for the Romance Languages Department. So I went to, you know, we should do more with technology. And they, they said, okay, we, we can do that, um, but we don't know how to get started. So they actually let me create two positions at the campus, which we call Tech TAs uh, for Romance Languages. And I didn't know much about technology, but Garrett knew a lot. So I found Garrett, and I'm like, I've got an opportunity for you. Let's let's talk about this. So we, we, we created this, these positions, and we started helping uh, and this is early days. Now it sounds ridiculous, but you know, we we would record uh, 
teachers speaking a foreign language and put it online for students to listen to. And this was cutting edge back then. Uh, this, Absolutely. this wasn't done. Uh, or we would, you know, try to get people to share things. So every instructor wouldn't keep creating the same verb guide. Uh, and then we could put it online in one place. So we started doing this and then we got consulting jobs around campus and we ended up working for a lot of different departments. And then finally there was a new boss in the study abroad office who decided they wanted to double the number of students they were sending abroad without adding a lot of staff. I know that doesn't sound like a university, right? No, not no, 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 staff. why? <laughs> but they gave it a large IT budget. So we actually sat in the study abroad office for almost two years, building them a custom solution. And uh, about that time, we decided we, you know, we were doing very well as grad students. Um, so we thought we'd start a company. And uh, we, our goal for the company was actually to re replace uh, Blackboard because we didn't like Blackboard. Right. Uh, we didn't like that it didn't have the multimedia capacity that we thought was uh, crucial for foreign language acquisition. Mm -hmm. So we actually started building that, but then UNC Chapel Hill had a presentation uh, with American University uh, at the San Antonio NASA. And they said, well, we don't know how to present what you built. Would you mind going down to this conference? We'd never heard of NASA. Yeah. You know. We're like, sure. So we get down there, and we were shocked. There were over 300 people in the room. What was um, the session called? I don't recall. I'd have to look but back. But, you know, using technology for study abroad oh, or okay, something. okay, gotcha. You know, online, whatever. I'm going to have to look so, that up. I'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but we presented, and it was ridiculously popular until the end when someone asked, how much does this cost? And I said, well, you know, for a quarter million dollars in two or three years, you can get a good start on it. And the whole audience went from to, oh, my gosh. <laughs> then John Tanzi from Dartmouth College came up afterwards and said, if you turn this into a product, we'll buy it. And then within a month, he had called us and invited us up to Dartmouth College. And uh, I guess the rest is history. We're 350 clients later. Um, yeah, and, so, and it started with Study Abroad. And I believe um, Studio Abroad was what it was called then. Or that's yep. still called Studio Abroad, right? That section? No, you know, we, we're going through this whole marketing pain where we're, we're trying to change the name because we, we actually work in probably a dozen business units on campus. We're still most known for Study Abroad. Gotcha. So we actually try to kill that Studio Abroad name, but, you know, just because we want to kill it as a company doesn't mean any of the patrons want to stop yeah, using Studio yeah, Abroad. It's like we call it Teradata for Study Abroad, Teradata for Risk Management. But, yeah. You know, we really don't control that even though we think we should be. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, and I feel like it, I was just saying it reminds me of Global Links um, trying to move away from AustraLearn and things yep. like that. Yeah, it's very hard, especially when your your clientele, if you will, the universities are like, no, I love Studio Abroad. So right. cool. Well, that's that's I I love that story. I'm really glad we got to share it with the interwebs because I think I think it goes to show. I think especially with students or anybody trying to chart their career, that they realize like if they can just solve a problem, even if they're not the expert in the room, they can't code, whatever it is, if they're just apply a little problem solving skills and and attack that question and try to find a solution that more people can use, I think it's really inspiring to be like a couple of language guys started a software company. So did you guys have uh, tech guys like working for you to help you build it or did you learn to code? Well, Garrett knew how to code. Garrett, okay. um, in between going starting his PhD or before starting his PhD, uh, actually worked as a programmer for AT&T. And that's okay. a fun story, too, for anyone who's ever heard Garrett sing. He's very musically talented. He has a band. Uh, yeah. He's had multiple bands over the years. Uh, but they, you know, due to some research that was done, they decided that uh, they would offer people who had music abilities um, jobs and train them how to be programmers because the link between music and programming is so close. 
just like Gary and I always say, the link link between languages, you know, programming is just another language, right. you know. So yeah. if you're a language geek, you can learn a computer language. So he he was a trained programmer, and then I, I had to learn. Uh, and I, the joke in the company is that we're all very happy when we hired more programmers and they hit all the code away from me, even though I offered for years to help fix things. They just never <laughs> let me do it. I don't know yeah. why. So how but, many how many people are on the uh, work at Teradata now? How big is the company? It's about thirty people in the United States, and then um, you know probably about another twenty FTEs around the world who are full time. You know, uh, uh, twenty other people working full time for us around the world in different okay. capacities. Wow, I had no idea it was that big. What are some things you want people to know about what Teradata offers that might be a little surprising because they think of it in one silo, studio abroad, or something like that? Give us a Gives a little teaser of what you guys do. Ability to do the CVIS batch processing, which is going to be really exciting for all the international students and scholar service yeah. offices. So That's we're going to have the ability to um, to handle that, which is which is great. You know, our risk management capabilities are huge and continue to grow all the time. We're, we have some fascinating partnerships coming up with companies, so we're going to be able to do a lot more for universities to streamline everything about keeping their travelers safe and then helping them whenever there's an emergency. Right. Uh, other interesting pieces that I frequently, you know, I, I hear people say, if only you could do this. And I'm like, oh, no, we do that. And yeah. here's a couple of universities that are using it. Things like agreement management, which is a big deal for institutions. Mm -hmm. They have all these memorandums of understanding or they have housing agreements. Okay. We can manage that in our software. Right. And the last one that I really, uh, we only have a few universities using it. But, and I know it's a major thing universities want to focus on, but it's just it's not happening fast enough, I don't think is the human resources catalog of what people know how to do. So, yeah, what is that? <laughs> um, so, you know, if, if you want to create a new program in, in Chile, you know, who are you going to get on your campus to help make sure that you create a good program? Gotcha. And this is just one example. But what they're going to do is they're going to pick people in the study abroad office. And many of those people maybe have never been to Chile, you know, mm -hmm. but I assure you there are people on campus who've studied there. I, there are people who are from there. There are people who, there are people in economics who did their, who've written books on the economy of Chile. Right. So you're not able to grab all those things. So that, that's one thing, building a program. You know, if there's an emergency in a country, uh, and I hate picking a country because there's always an emergency somewhere, but yeah. there's an emergency somewhere, you've got 20 students there, you need to call into that country. You know, how do you find the people on your campus who speak that language? Well, and you yeah. do have native speakers, but you can't find them. Uh, yeah. So there, there's myriad reasons to want to know this information. It's yeah. just, uh, and universities want to do it. It's just happening slowly. Yeah. I think I think that's all exciting. I always, I, I my next question, I definitely want to ask you. So I think all that stuff is amazing, uh, but I, I have a special place in my heart for a little one-person study abroad offices. And so what's one little nugget or one tip um, if somebody has a small office, very small budget, if any, um, how do they get started with Teradata? Is it possible or is, it, is there a breaking point, a barrier to entry? Not really. I mean, we have a lot of one-person offices mm -hmm. that use our software. So, um, you know, we, we have a, I don't recall the name of the university, but we, uh, there's a, a woman in Wisconsin or Minnesota. I think it's Minnesota. So this is fantastic. You know, this is like an uh, seventy-five percent FTE has been added to my staff. Yeah. Uh, she's a one-person office, and she's like, I can actually advise students now. I, I'm getting my numbers up because I'm not spending all of my time working with paper. Right. Um, you know, practically, I'd say the the 
usually the lower limit of universities that come on board with us have 100 students a year that are going abroad or traveling. Um, But we do have some that are lower. You know, we've got one or two that have like 50. Um, But, you know, I think that software is always good. And I think if it's good software, which I believe ours is, but there's so many benefits that you can realize with the software. And some of them are hard to think about until something terrible happens. You know, the, the ability um, you know, you're the one person on campus who knows everything and you're on vacation. Yeah. Um, so how do they find this information? Or even a smaller thing, you know, you're visiting your sister overnight a uh, hundred miles away and something happens and all the information is back in your office. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, there's this, the ability to both uh, have the information and share it. And then of course, depending on the size of the office, then the, the calculus changes, you know, it's not simply just getting by, which is a lot of what one person offices try to do, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to run a whole business with one person and then uh, it's, it's hard. But yeah. uh, then when, as you get more, as you have more people and more resources, then you start doing crazy things like analyzing the data and coming up with trends and, yeah. you know, being able to go back to the university and say, do you know that the students who study abroad, their GPAs actually go up uh, before they graduate? Right. So wouldn't, don't we want more students doing this? Or everyone's talking about retention now right. and st- yeah. study abroad. That's what I was just going to say. So, you know, there's always good, re- there's, there's good reasons to have software and you can almost pick the reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm really proud because I, I, I did, ran a run person study right office at University of South Dakota and um, sort of helped. I was like sort of the first full time focused study abroad mm-hmm. person ever. And so, I mean, I went from like being handed all this paper to organize and trying to, you know, hack a solution because <clears throat> I did not have a budget even close to Teradata's uh, yet. But, um, yeah, and the next year after I left, uh, my, my old boss called me. She's like, you're going to be so excited. We just signed on with Teradata. I was like, that's crazy. Because <laughs> it just showed me that, like, we were working towards growth in organization where we could get to the point where we could, you know, that made a lot of sense for the school. So I think sure. that's really exciting. But, okay, let's switch gears once again. Let's talk a little bit, a little more on the fun side. So okay. Teradata, and I love this like, about you guys, you guys have become known for your karaoke events. And yes. so, and which is a lot of fun. I think that's really great. It's a little different than your standard sort of um, a little stuffy reception. And I think it's nice to let people get to know each other, let their hair down a little. But so can you share one of your favorite karaoke moments? You know, you can throw somebody under the bus. It's okay. A little gossip never hurt anybody. <laughs> uh, so anyway, there's this woman named Brooke one time. Oh, so. no, no. <laughs> Not my story. This is my oh, story. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought anybody. Well, you know, there's there's so many great stories from these karaoke parties, and it, it blows my mind how talented some people are. Yeah. And it's you know, you're a very talented singer. You know, that's it's it's very impressive. Uh, some of the people who get up there and just you know, and then everyone after them is like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm next. <laughs> so terrible. So a the, the talent pool is crazy. Some of the people that you would least expect to jump up there, yeah. uh, you know, because there are people who are outgoing and you expect them to want to get up and do karaoke, but then there's other people who are who are not, and then they, they jump up there and they belt off a song and it blows your mind. Yeah, you but then there, so sometimes our quality is talking about people having a time. I mean, so many people just, you know, get up there and butcher a song, and that's me. I don't care. I enjoy it. I'm yeah, going to get yeah. up there, and if I hit two or three notes in the whole song, that's cool. I'm happy with that, but it's fun. So many people have fun. I have to say the funniest story, though, if I can go a little bit longer on this, is why we do karaoke. Okay, yeah, let's hear it. Um, and we do karaoke because we have an annual user conference every year. And the first year we had it, we had a whopping 26 attendees. Uh, it, was, it was huge. 
<laughs> and we had 300, we had 300 and something people in Denver. The first year was 26. And, you know, we, we needed to do a, a reception. And we went to a, a, we had a nice restaurant reception. And it, we were a very small company. And this was nine and a half years ago, nine years ago. Uh, and it was just too expensive. I couldn't do it. So the next year, I'm like, I've got to find a way to make this cheaper. So I tell everyone, I think we're going to do karaoke. And the whole staff is mad at me. They're like, that's ridiculous. No one's going to like this. This is a terrible idea. I'm like, well, we're going to try it one year because we can't afford to do a sit-down dinner for everybody. Yeah. Uh, so we do it, and it went incredibly well. And then we did it the next year. And the third year, I, I said, fine, we're not going to do this karaoke reception. And people are getting sick of it. So I wrote a note to everybody, all their clients. And I got death threats. Now, I, I think they were jokes. I think they were jokes. But they were very clearly death threats yeah. about if, if we discontinued karaoke. So now we have multiple karaoke parties a year. And oddly enough, people have not gotten sick of them. And they keep attending. And, yeah. You know, I mean. People, I just saw people at the forum and AIA, and they said, hey, I've got a new song for, for NAFSA this year. I'm like, wow, you're actually planning ahead to yeah. karaoke. Yeah. That is conference prep like I've never heard of. I know, you guys just start charging people to come. Yeah. <laughs> it's like hey, an event in and of itself. No, I think that's awesome. No, I think a couple of years ago, I was at a conference chatting with James, and he said, like, yeah, I think we're not going to do it anymore. And I just was like, no, you have to do it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so, You've heard that a couple of times. I may have been the death girl. I may have been there. Yeah. yeah, you. I see. I see. Yeah. No, I think it's awesome. I love that it's so unique. Um, yeah, so I love it. So if anybody is watching this pre-NAFSA and you want to go to the karaoke event, you need to email Brandon and say some nice things to him, offer to buy him a beer, maybe he'll let you in. So um, we won't post it to the interwebs where it is and everything. We don't want the millions of people watching my blog to flock to your event. So <laughs> um, so let's let's uh, talk a little bit about, um, like shift from talking about you, me, whatever. Let's talk about other people. So, um, you know, a lot of people reach out to me through my blog and they want to know, how do I get a job in study abroad or international education? How do I launch that kind of career? And you you have a classic story, especially, I think there's a generational thing, I'm kind of the same way, where it sort of, you kind of fell into it a little bit, it just like, opportunities presented itself, and all of a sudden, and you created your own job, I think that's an interesting thing too, you created your job in this world, but what are some qualities that you look for in new hires, or people wanting to work at Teradata and be part of this, this industry or field? Sure. Uh... Well, I, I've got to say right now, uh, we're lucky that we have a whole bunch of zealots working for us, and a lot of their zealotry is for education abroad, and they just they just love what they do. So, you know, I actually look pretty heavily for someone who has some international experience. You know, I think it's important whether or not you're doing risk management, ESLI, study abroad. You know, you should be aware that outside of that window is not just your city and state and country, but there's other countries and other uh, things out there. So I, I do look for that. And that doesn't mean that's all we hire because, you know, the, you, you know, it's a small percentage of the population who actually does get out of their own yeah. country. And have, like, some coding ability or something. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, the other thing, the number one thing that I look for is a good communicator, someone who's able to write and to speak well, who can express themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I do talks about this at different uh, business school too, where I, I talk to the MBAs and I say, it's, it's fantastic if you're super smart and you can write a plan and you can do all these other things, but if you cannot effectively communicate your plan, if you can't sell somebody else on it because you don't have the words or because you're writing in a fashion that's not going to um, resonate with them, then it's a problem. So, you know, I look for people who have experience. So I, I've hired a number of English majors because I know they're going to be able to communicate well. 
uh, hopefully they're going to be able to ask themselves the question every time they write or speak, uh, who is my audience? Why am I doing this? What's the purpose of what I'm doing? And that's, that's a harder skill to find than you'd think. It's, yeah. um, and the, the, writ, the oral is one thing because oral is off the cuff. Uh, and, you know, like I just said, uh, you know, yeah. that's fine. I'm speaking, you know, is extemporaneous. But when you are, you know, but when you're trying to do a, a more formal, particularly in writing, you know, you really need, especially when you're selling and working with universities or even doing support for a university, you know, most of these people you're dealing with are very educated and they don't want to see, uh, you know, it doesn't make the company look good. It doesn't make you look good if you're not able to express yourself right. intelligently. So that's probably the biggest thing I look for is the ability to communicate effectively. Now, and I think that's a great takeaway, especially for, well, anybody at any age, but I think especially I've been working with people applying who are coming right out of college, mm -hmm. and their emails where they've attached their materials, they'll, they'll use shorthand, you know, and yeah. they won't capitalize the first, you know, letter of the sentence, and, and it's just really, I'm sort of like, come on, these are the little wins you need to nail before you get, even get an interview where you have to nail, like, why are you motivated or why are you mm -hmm. um, going to be exceptional in this position? So I think that's a great takeaway is that I think that's, like, the first barrier to entry is being able to communicate and putting your best foot forward. Yeah. Right. And it's funny because Garrett and I uh, have been working together for probably 16 years or maybe 17 years. Um, and we don't, you know, we chat all day using, you know, Google chat yeah. or even or texting or whatever. And every single time we write to each other and I do it everywhere. You know, I don't do any abbreviations. I capitalize every word. I would carry it yet. You know, so know your audience. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're writing to a 23 year old to get a job, go ahead and do that. If you're writing to someone in their, you know, maybe 30s, 40s, 50s, I, I probably wouldn't do that. Yeah, um, yeah. So. No, that makes a good point. So, okay, so we're coming to the end. So yeah. we didn't really get into this. So did you study abroad in college in, at, at Ohio State? No, I no? didn't. Okay. Uh, that's a that's a whole other story. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So let's let's then let's go back. So let's if you, everything you know about the study abroad experience and international education, um, if you could go back to college, would you study abroad? This is the first question. And two, um, where would you go and why? I feel very lucky that I've led a charmed life, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, my study abroad experience and where it's taken me. It's taken me here now to this interview with you. You know. Um, it's been great, you know, I, so it'd be a very hard for me. I would study abroad in a heartbeat. You know, we've got one employee, Erica Masson, who is our director of sports services. She studied abroad three times in undergrad. Uh, okay. I think I would do that. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't just have done the one time. But I would, in a heartbeat, go back to France. I love France. You know, I'd love to live in France. I, you know, I, every business opportunity I can get to go there, I go there. Uh, now, if I had all the knowledge I had now, so if I spoke French fluently and I was going back, where would I go? Mm -hmm. Uh, that's probably, you know, so if I already had the French, I'd want to learn another language fluently. So I'd, I'd probably pick Cairo, you know, maybe somewhere in China, just somewhere to get a completely different cultural experience and a completely different language. You know, when you speak one of those romance languages, you know, I can embarrass myself in Spanish and Italian pretty well without having to go there for a year. So yeah. I think I'd definitely pick a different language route. Okay. But. So Middle East or Asia, probably? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Probably oh, Cairo would be... I, I actually had a grant to go study in Cairo in grad school, and it, I, I, again, I started the silly company, so not only did I not finish my dissertation, I didn't get a chance to improve my Arabic. So do you think you'll ever do that? You'll think you'll ever do the dissertation just to close it down and say you did it? Oh, I'd like to say yes, but we're actually out of time. You, you get 10 years. Oh, 
So Garrett and I both finished. We were a, we're ABD all yeah. the dissertations, so we'd finished all of our coursework, taken our exams, had our proposals accepted. Yeah. I was thirty pages from the end of my dissertation, and but you know, for that first five years of the company, I mean, yeah. I, I, I used to joke, you know, I could work. I had a very flexible job. I could work me eighty hours of the week I wanted. Yeah. So there wasn't much time after working that mu- that much to to write, and yeah. then all these children started coming along and that really made it <laughs> your life just happened yeah exactly. impossible yeah well but that's, that's okay you know I, I my wife loves it that she's dr heller and i'm mr lee so that works out really well uh and uh, i wouldn't trade i wouldn't trade teradata for the degree so yeah there you no, go. Absolutely. And I, I feel like you I, I i mean i know we work in academia in a lot of times and you're working with people and that that is a super important thing for so many people and it's and it's an amazing thing to accomplish, absolutely. But I feel like there are other equally amazing accomplishments. And I think what you guys have done at Teradot is, is an example of that. Thank you. <laughs> so thanks so much for being here, Brandon. This is awesome. I'm really pumped I'm able to share your story. 